Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Mountain Province Diamonds third quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Thursday, November 5th, 2020, and now now let's turn the conference over to Stuart Brown, President and CEO. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, and good morning and good afternoon to other people around the world, and welcome to our conference um, call. And format for today is going to follow normal process. Um, I'll give you a brief introduction. Perry will handle the finances, and then I've asked Reed Mackey, our VP for marketing and sales, to give us an update. Given that we come back into the market, so it'll be good for Reed to share some data and thoughts on, on how he sees the market. Um, so without further ado, if I could kick off. Um, obviously, with the, all we're looking at the forward-looking information, so just a caution to everyone to, to you know read the information and the, the, the guidance statements, cautionary statements, and we will be having some discussion about you know how we're doing the rest of the year. Um, if I could then move on um, quickly to the quarterly production slide which compares Q3 this year to Q3 last year. Um, I think the results that can be seen is quite a good performance in, in the last quarter, but I'd like to frame that in terms of how we've had to operate for 2020. Obviously, the first few months of the year, we were going really well in terms of how we were selling and how we were operating, and then the COVID impact hit us late March, and, and we've had to take a lot of evasive action in terms of how we operate the mine. Pleasingly, we've got all those policies and procedures and change work practices in, which have been immense. So, first of all, thank you to all the employees and the management on the mine. They've done an excellent job. They've had to change a huge amount of things to, you know, keep our workforce protected. Despite this, we had our first uh, positive COVID case uh, last week um, reported on mine and one of the shift changes. Pleasingly, with all of the procedures got in place, we've dealt with that. Um, and everyone's well and uh, recovering and following the right protocols. But it just shows you with the amount of effort you have to put in to avoid these things, you can still um, get caught as this um, you know, virus is very, very transferable. The, the impact has obviously hit us quite hard in the middle of the year, and we've recovered now because we've got used to it. We've managed to recruit some additional people get all of our trucks and equipment operating back at levels, and that's why we've seen the improvement in Q3 2020. We managed to maintain a fairly good balance of tons treated if you want to compare year-to-date this year with last year. Still slightly behind on a comparison basis. The grade slightly better. We have mined in slightly different areas, but it's not materially out. We're not high-grading the ore body. We're just following a plan, and we have to obviously be quite fleet-footed with our plan, given we've had some constraint. The area of constraint where we lost some of the equipment and people through the, the um, having to send people home to prevent um, you know, risk, employees
employees being exposed to the virus potentially is meant to be behind on our actual waste tons mine, which we'll have to make up in the future periods ahead of us. So I'm pleased that the grade is um, performing where it is and our carrots recovered. Uh, I'd like to think we were going to end the year somewhere around with our guidances. You know, we revised guidance earlier in the year and everything, I think we're still on track to meet that. So from a production perspective, um, very pleased with how we've got going, and I think in Q4 we're still setting the same level of performance. The one milestone we have achieved over the last few weeks is we've now gone two years without a lost time injury, which, given our environment, the size of our workforce, the complexity, is an incredibly good performance. And again, all, all congratulations to the, the team on site. Without further ado, if I could then hand over to Perry to take us through the financial information. Thanks very much, Perry. Thanks, Stuart. Uh, so I'll, I'll just switch uh, forward uh, from uh, slide four to slide five uh, and, you know, expand uh, on what uh, the background that Stuart has already given you. Uh, obviously, you know, with, you know, COVID has presented uh, significant challenges to us, uh, and only recently have we, you know, begun to uh, access the market in, in a somewhat normal way. So. Uh, so uh, turning to that, um, you know, we uh, uh, we drew down our uh, credit facility um, during the uh, earlier in the year, which provided us liquidity uh, to get through um, uh, the second quarter of the year. Uh, and if you recall as well, we also sold about 23 million dollars uh, U.S. Uh, in diamonds to Doombridge during the second quarter of the year. So moving ahead uh, to the third quarter of the year, uh, if you look at kind of the July-August period, uh, we continue to access uh, the Doombridge facility uh, for liquidity during that period. We sold uh, 745,000 carats at uh, U.S. $36 a carat for proceeds of uh, U.S. $27 million. Uh, so that pretty much provided us um, the liquidity to get through um, the summer months because obviously the mine is still operating and we're still continuing to pay our 49% share of the cost. Uh, I would also remind you that uh, uh, on the future resale of those uh, diamonds sold to Doombridge, we are entitled to 50% uh, of the realized profits on the sale uh, after certain deductions. And then uh, getting in uh, to the, the latter part of the quarter, of the third quarter, finally in September, uh, we were able to conduct our first uh, regular uh, tender in Antwerp, um, which Reed could give you a little more detail on. It was a relatively small sale at 210,000 carats at U.S. $40 a carat for uh, revenue of $8.4 million. Uh, and then more recently, just subsequent to the end of the quarter, uh, as, as you may have seen in our last press release, we sold uh, 500, over 550,000 carats at uh, U.S. $61 per carat for revenue of uh, approximately 34 million U.S. dollars. So, um, so I'd say, you know, on the, on the sales front, um, very challenging conditions, uh, July and August. Uh, started to normalize in September, and then obviously a good sale uh, at the end of October. Uh, in terms of our uh, income statements, uh, on a Canadian dollar basis, uh, translates to uh, revenue of uh, $47 million uh, compared to $55 million 
in the same period last year. Uh, and in terms of an EBITDA basis, uh, you know, that translates to $15 million in EBITDA compared to uh, $10 million in the same quarter of 2019. Obviously, a, a $15 million quarterly EBITDA run rate that only translates to $60 million Canadian for a full, on a full-year basis. You know, obviously that's due to uh, the relatively low prices that we, uh, that we sold diamonds for uh, in Q2 and Q3. But it is also worth noting that uh, the dollar per carat was uh, negatively impacted by the lack of any revenues from uh, fancies and special diamonds uh, due to uh, logistics uh, around COVID restrictions in getting uh, you know, our personnel and De Beers personnel uh, up to Yellowknife in order to conduct the split of those diamonds. That was resolved uh, late in the third quarter of the year, and we're, we're now caught up on those splits. And so revenue uh, will be recorded on uh, those fancies and specials. Uh, they were included as part of our, our October sale, and you'll see uh, further revenue uh, on fancies and specials in the fourth quarter. Uh, just in terms of on a GAAP reporting uh, perspective, uh, we recorded uh, a loss per share of uh, $0.03 cents a share uh, compared to a loss in the same period last year of $0.12 cents a share. Uh, we were positively impacted uh, during the uh, third quarter by uh, $11 million in uh, foreign exchange uh, gains. $8 million of that, I'll, I'll just say, is uh, unrealized gains just relating to the translation of our U.S. dollar-denominated debt. Uh, but $3 million of that was realized uh, on the settlement of uh, the company's foreign exchange uh, contracts that uh, we had in place with Scotia. Uh, which I'll get into a bit more detail on as well, uh, given that ties into uh, some balance sheet changes. Um, so moving on to slide six, I'll just, before moving to the balance sheet, I'll just discuss uh, briefly um, some of the cash costs. Um, so we came in at uh, $95 per ton treated. You'll see that uh, kind of in the middle of the page there. Uh, $95 per ton treated, despite uh, slightly lower tonnage to the plant, uh, which brings our um, cost down uh, for the full, for the year to date uh, down to $100 per ton, which just shows that you know uh, the beers and mine management are doing an exceptional job uh, managing uh, the mine under these conditions. Uh, and because we had relatively uh, strong grades, uh, our cost per carat was down to uh, $44. Uh, per carat in the quarter uh, compared to $53 per carat uh, in the same period last year. So now just turning to the balance sheet highlights, um, we ended the quarter with uh, $23 million uh, Canadian in cash, which you know obviously excludes uh, the big sale uh, that we had in October, uh, which compares to $28 million uh, that we had at the beginning of the year. Now obviously uh, um, in order to do that, we drew down uh, $25 million U.S. from our revolving credit facility, which was with Scotia and NetBank at the time, uh, which you see there um, in Canadian dollars at $33 million. Uh, at the end of the quarter, uh, or right before the end of the quarter, on September 29th, we held a special meeting of shareholders, uh, at which point they approved um, uh, basically the assignment of the loan facility uh, from Scotia to Doombridge. 
so that closed uh, right at the end of the quarter on uh, September 30th. And basically, uh, we now have uh, a one-year revolving credit agreement with Doonbridge instead of Scotia and Nedbank. Interest rate is relatively the same. It, it's a 5% rate rather than a, a LIBOR plus rate, which uh, worked out to just under 5% uh, under the old facility. Um, but I will note that uh, the company currently doesn't have uh, any counterparties uh, to enter into uh, foreign exchange hedges, which is why we closed out our contracts uh, at the end of September for a gain of $3 million, uh, which I discussed previously. Uh, also in connection with that um, share, special shareholder meeting, uh, shareholders approved uh, uh, an amendment to increase uh, the potential sale of diamonds under the, the facility from uh, U.S. $50 million to U.S. $100 million. Um, we obviously uh, don't expect to uh, rely on that additional $50 million, but it's there as, as a backstop in case diamond markets, uh, you know, uh, freeze again like they did uh, uh, earlier in the year as a result of COVID. Um, so in terms of where we stand, I mean, just to summarize, uh, it's been an exceptionally challenging period, which has uh, certainly stressed the company's balance sheet, but uh, so far we've managed to get through the other end, uh, especially with the support of our major shareholder. Uh, market conditions have improved significantly uh, compared to where they were in the spring and summer. Uh, and we do expect uh, you know, further challenges as, as we move into the winter season. But, uh, you know, things are certainly looking better now than they were, um, you know, a quarter ago. So uh, with that, I'll turn uh, the presentation over to Reed, who can talk about the market. Thanks, Barry. Um, uh, I'll, I'll quickly give a, a background to our most recent sales and then get into um, what we're seeing in the more macro side of uh, the diamond market and the diamond pipeline. As Perry alluded to, um, our normal sales process has restarted in September, with our most recent sales successfully closing this past Friday. Uh, despite the second wave of COVID-19 cases widely reported in Europe, adjustments to our Antwerp sales processes to ensure have been, uh, have been uh, made to ensure our providers and customers remain safe. And what we've seen is the results from these sales have shown that rough buyers appear to have returned to the market in earnest. Um, with bidding showing higher competition metrics than the average even seen in 2019. Um, on the rough side of the market, um, a level of stability appears to have returned. Um, globally, natural rough diamond production is forecast to decline uh, about 20% in 2020. Further out, continued reduced rough supplies and forecast to decline for the next five years. So we're seeing, we've seen in the past uh, past quarter, diamond inventories in the cutting centers um, have been reported to be uh, restored and in balance with shortages even being seen in some areas, namely in the three quarters to a carat and a half range. Um, and despite carrying higher stock levels, um, um, major producers appear to be adopting a lower supply volume strategy in order to defend price, which is further helping um, stabilize the market. Uh, further downstream to polished, uh, total trading and manufacturing inventories are reported to be down 25% and they're largely considered to be now in balance and restored. Um, and polished prices on average are largely up and stable for the year. 
Um, Indian factories right now, um, despite um, COVID-19, are at about 75% capacity and shorter breaks have been planned for Diwali in order to make up for the lost time um, uh, during the shutdown period. Um, further down in retail, um, in Asia, we're seeing quite a strong retail recovery as evidenced by positive year-on-year growth numbers recently reported by you know, the larger retailers there. And this is in spite of shutdowns in Hong Kong and Macau, which have obviously affected sales in that important market. However, there is, a, there is still caution, caution as, as uh, the all-important U.S. market um, is still remains a bit uncertain as to how the upcoming all-important retail holiday sales will play out with the second wave of COVID-19 restrictions coming into play and how online retail will adapt to these unprecedented circumstances. Um, despite that, we are still planning, normal, normalcy has returned to our sales processes and our tenders in Antwerp. Um, we are planning our next sale uh, at normal volumes uh, in Antwerp in mid-December and, and further on into Q, Q1 uh, 2021. And with that, I'll pass back to Stuart. Thanks, Reid, and thanks, Perry. So in summary, um, for a quarter and, and for the year, I think the quarter we feel positive that we've got our processes online working well. We've seen the, the tonnage go through the plant. Uh, and we have all the required stockpiles and the relative crews on site. We've seen, as Reed's explained, prices have come back from the lows in the sort of selling when we were selling on our offtake to in the very low 60s. And, you know, that's very encouraging. Like the rest of the industry, we remain cautiously optimistic. Uh, obviously, with operations going well, sales coming back, the background of COVID still hanging around, we, we don't have a cure for it. But what we are positive about is we're heading into the sales season and the retail season that um, Reid mentioned. So our focus in the short term is to continue um, producing, get our goods to market, have flexibility around the, the options where we can sell in the world. With Antwerp remaining open as a key industry, um, we're good there for the moment, um, but to maintain flexibility. In the background, we have the, the extension contract. So in our liquidity issues, we, we're pretty good with the cash, as Perry said. If we, we collect the, the 34 million, which we're busy doing, and then we've got the sale in December. So feeling you know, a lot more comfortable than I was as, as we improve, you know, as the height of the crisis, there was lots of variability. Um, very pleased to have got the sale away and planning for the next one, which is where you want to be in the position to do that and to know the production is coming through. I think we, we're going to have a solid Q4. Um, we've had our first sale um, in Q4 already, so we've got one more to go, and we're planning ahead for the future. Um, so with that, I'd like to conclude, and if there's any questions, uh, myself or the team would be happy to try to answer them. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys.
there is a question. There is a question yeah. online from Karen Hodgson at Panmer Gordon. How much of the increase in cash costs was due to FX movement? Uh, thanks for that. Uh, Perry, if you could deal with that. I suspect sure. you might have to go back sure. to Kieran. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, in terms of F FX, uh, I would say a very little movement uh, is related to, to FX. Um, I think uh, um, although we had some you know, pretty strong swings um, kind of at the height of uh, you know, COVID and, and low oil uh, early in the second quarter, uh, it pretty much flushed out pretty quickly, and, and we didn't really see any impact uh, on our statements. If I could add to that, Kieran, we did a lot of planning up front. We buy all our fuel. We got our fuel at very good FX rates in the beginning of 2020. So that helped us. And as Perry said, we, we hedged a lot. So we took, actually for once in our lives, got hedging quite um, on the right side of everything. Uh, which we have reported, but that doesn't, you know, filter all the way through to the income statement on the production line. So any, any more questions? There is a question on the phone from Daniel McConvey at Rossport Investments. Please go ahead. Hi, good day, everyone. Just the, the uh, just so you know, the phone went blank there when I pressed star one there for a while, so it just might be happening to somebody else as well. Um, thank you for the color in the market. And uh, in the background, uh, a couple of questions. Just um, I might have missed what uh, was said there. The, the, the sales in October did not include any specialty. Just the mix of diamonds was that kind of your regular diamonds. There was nothing, nothing special in there that kind of helped the price. I can answer that. Your only question, Daniel. So you had a couple. Okay. I had a couple. Um, I was going to ask you. Um, I guess the big question is if you get if these prices continue, okay. So um, it, 60, 65 U.S. current exchange rates, and if you, if you just use your your technical report, which is less than a year old, for forecast for 2021, realizing that you have some catch up to do in stripping, but if you can get near those numbers, um, uh, and especially with the the cost um, reductions you've been doing, you um, that would set yourself for some, a very profitable 2021. And I just, uh, maybe I'm just looking for a piece of caution in that view, if, uh, but under the assumption that you, these diamond prices continue. And then the I'll third one, I was just gonna ask you, yeah. go ahead, yeah. go ahead. No, no, carry on. And the third one, the third one, I was just gonna ask you, remind, I know you've gone through it before, but just remind me what your, the, the COVID, uh, the quarantining, when you go, when you're, you're doing a good job with COVID at site, uh, how long are people quarantining for at the site? Like how do you how do you manage that when they're going in and out? Okay, I'll handle all of those. So on the sales okay, mix you. question, um, you asked that. So when we were selling during COVID, uh, let's put, so when we weren't selling on the open market uh, on our contract, we were selling we weren't selling our fancies and specials. As Perry said, we couldn't actually get up to site, and Reed and the team couldn't get there, nor could De Beers to do the physical split where we bid against each other. So we could export the other goods, which we then sold um, on the contract. And in September, when we had our first small sale to market, there were no fancies and specials included in that because we didn't have any. So when we sold now in October that we just reported Monday evening, um, was the first time we had um, fancies and specials in there. And obviously that's our, what we would let's say, pure run of mind with all the goods in there. 
Um, so that helped the average value go from the 40s up to the 60s, which is more to our normal price. Um, you then went on to the second one. Hopefully that answers your first question. The second one was how do we see that? So let's a little bit of caution for you as you want to predict is, yes, we don't see the prices fully recovered yet. We, we're getting back to pre-COVID levels um, across the board. We would like to see stronger uh, pricing to get back to, as you say, the published information on what we expect in 2021. We're working through you know, our preparation for that at the moment. What I would say, and I haven't mentioned yet, is, you know, and, and Reid mentioned it, production is down in 2020. As everyone's taken evasive action, some mines have closed, production's been scaled back. Um, some mines that have closed haven't reopened. Uh, I think everyone in the industry has seen the Argyle announcement of closure and the, and the rapid tapering off there. So we see 21, we're optimistic for the future. There will be reduced supply. Um, as, again, as Reid said, as the majors look to maximize prices and probably um, that's the biggest value driver for all of us. So we're optimistic that we should see better pricing in the future. But obviously a few other things have to happen. Um, we need a good retail season in the U.S. We need stocks to pull through and then that will drive demand. And once you drive demand, you, you tend to see price increases. Um, and we refer back to the 2009 GFC to see how behavior happened in 2010. So we're cautiously optimistic, but mindful that there's still a few uh, speed bumps in the road ahead of us. Um, and then finally on COVID, we, we've had a huge amount of protocol um, be employee behavior. We've changed our work practice for many of our workers to a four weeks on, four weeks off cycle, which is quite stressful for them. It all sounded great at the beginning, but you know, four weeks away from home starts getting a bit itchy when you're used to, you know, doing two on, two off. So we, we tend to, we keep everyone separate. People are supposed to quarantine at home um, before they get to site. So we don't actually quarantine at site. We regard site as, as, as COVID free and we keep it that way. People are tested prior to getting on the airplane for temperature and health. Um, and then once they get to site, they're physically tested for COVID. Um, and kept apart from the exiting people, and we, we monitor where everyone goes. So it's a massive amount of work and, and, and change in the way people move around site. Those test results are received pretty quickly. We fly them out and get them back um, from the facility nearby. And then if everyone's clear, that's fine, and we carry on working. If we, As we had a case now the other day, then we have to do a process to identify that person who they've been in contact with, because we keep records of that. And then we have all those people go into isolation um, and then do follow-up testing. So we've just gone through that process. We've removed quite a lot of the people from site. Some of them are now quarantining in Yellowknife and some are quarantining at home, the ones that were tested negative. So things like that have really disrupted our lives, hence the disruption on um, production, having to get our heads around that. We're looking to change the site cycle um, to a slightly shorter one, probably a three on, three off, to, to sort of look after our employees as, as well as we can in the future. So that, that's one of the other evasive actions that we're having to adjust. Hopefully those answers give you um, some comfort there. Thanks, Daniel. Great, thank you. And congratulations on, on the progress. Thank you. The next question comes from George Tinsley, a shareholder. Please go ahead. Yes, good morning, uh, Stuart. Um, 
My question is uh, with respect to the the ice road uh, that, that must be uh, completed uh, in the new year. Given the situation that uh, the Dominion Rio situation, uh, obviously major contributors to that road, will their uh, potential problems uh, impact our costs? We're busy with that right now, so good question. We're planning, um, or there's a whole, obviously there's a logistics team that works on it and a consortium on that. So right now we're looking at that impact. I can't speculate on what Dominion will do and, and won't do and, and what Rio will and won't do, but the ice road will be put in and, and we're, we're, we're making contingency plans to, to make sure that goes ahead. But obviously, if they're not there, it does increase the cost. If they are there, depending how much they use it, it reduces the cost. It's not as material as you would think. Um, initially, when we first looked at it, we, we had an idea. And I don't want to put the number there because we're busy going through the whole negotiations right now. Um, but yeah, we have we have factored that into our thought process and it's catered for in our cash flow um, thoughts as well. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. And the last question comes from Bruno Costa at Concise Capital Management. Please go ahead. Hi, Stuart. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, first of all, congratulations on this recent uh, sale. Um, and given the, the the second wave in Europe and the and the measures taken by the Belgian government to contain the, the second wave of the pandemic, do you guys expect to have another regular sale still this year? We do. Um, so. As, as I said earlier, they, they consider the diamond industry obviously a key industry. Um, they encouraging people who don't have to go to work not to go to work, close all bars, restaurants, and you know social activities like that. But people are still working. We've got like the protocols we have um, on mind. There's massive protocols across all the diamond offices in Antwerp. So we were able to close the sale last week. Uh, our broker's office is still open. Clients are able to come. I think there's two things I would uh, comment on that is that, you know, our production is very well sorted. It's very consistent. We had a lot of buying from people that was were coming to view the goods as well as regular customers that trust the model and were blind bidding, so they didn't actually come to see the goods. We will make contingency plans um, around that, but so far we think... Um, given the way things are operating, that unless the situation deteriorates dramatically, um, we should be open for a sale in December. Gotcha. And uh, one more question. Uh, the cash cost numbers, obviously, per carat uh, came in very, very good because of the lower grade, but even the cash cost uh, per ore, per ton of ore, came in much lower than, than we expected. And can we expect that number for Q4 and for the coming year as well? We'd like to aim there. I mean, obviously the number of carrots dictates the one and that we had a higher grade this quarter mm -hmm. uh, or higher volume of carrots, so that helped. We are keeping the, the cost down as much as we can, and we're busy with that right now. We haven't yet completed the 2019, I mean the 2020 budget process. So obviously, you want to aim to do that. Um, we haven't finalized that number, but that's our aim. Um, okay. I'd look Thank at the year-to-date year average. Look at the year-to-date average is probably more 
accurate there. I mean, sometimes in the quarter we can have a fluctuation. I think, Perry, mm -hmm. I think that's about right, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say that's correct. Um, and one, one thing I'd also note, uh, uh, the, uh, some of the federal programs have also helped us uh, on a cash cost basis. So uh, the GK mine did qualify for the Canadian uh, emergency wage subsidy, at least for certain periods. Um, so that, that uh, helped reduce costs as well. So whether we'll continue to receive that benefit really um, is, you know, the program's effective till middle of next year, but uh, we'll have to assess month by month whether we qualify or not. Gotcha, gotcha. And one last question. Um, is there a maturity date to the Dunebridge purchase agreement? Uh, we'll there is. We're just finalizing the terms at the shareholder meeting. Uh, gave us approval to enter into that on the same terms, conditions as before. And that's one of the issues we, we're just finalizing, but it's got a long maturity date. Um, so once it's uh, finally agreed, which we anticipate any day now, it'll probably go for 18 months, um, 15 months, sorry, is what we've um, agreed. So I think that's a long enough period. Absolutely. We've got, um, we've thank got you very much, guys. Yeah, we've got a lot more flexibility on other sales sites around the world now as well. So we've had time to look at alternatives. Thanks, Bruno. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have any questions, please press star one. There are no further questions on the phone. You may Great. proceed. Thank you very much. Well, thanks very much for everyone who took the trouble to dial in and listen and, and for the questions. They're all good. Um, so the team will now go away. We'll carry on working quite hard um, for a successful Q4, and we look talking forward to talking to all of you in the new year. Thanks very much. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating, and we ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.